All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Give Us a Spell podcast. My name is Zach and we are coming to you tonight, uh, end of spring. We're going to be doing a bit of a special episode tonight uh, for your ears. We're going to be going through our favourite moments throughout the spring carnival and there's some pretty amazing ones. So we'll be doing that. I normally play on with one of the horse races that we've sort of been liking at the moment, but uh, we'll probably do a fair bit of audio when talking about our favourite moments over the spring. I've got Tom and Kohai who are going to be joining us. Some do double up, but uh, some are pretty unique to, to ours and what we really liked throughout the spring. So stay tuned for that. Uh, there is racing still. I know the carnival's finished, but there is still some listed racing down in Sydney and Melbourne. And uh, we've got like uh, a couple of listed races, both both there. We've even got the Metro not the metro Twilight meetings and night meetings, which are all in full swing as well. And look, it doesn't matter that they're not all group ones and happening. There's still money to be made and tips to be made. And this is, I think, where Kohai comes into flourish this time of year too and then we have a look towards Perth we have a look towards Magic Millions and then we straight into autumn again Uh, we are going to be looking at a couple of races towards the end of the podcast we'll go over some tips that we like for the weekend but we're not going to be doing uh, full previews of each meeting Um, more so recapping spring than giving some tips at the end so hope you enjoy that Uh, if you are listening Spotify it'd be great if you could give us five stars that helps the ratings go up Uh, thank you for those who have done that already and sending those through likewise on Apple if you feel like and you can be bothered writing a review that always helps too otherwise five stars that does help as well but as I bring the boys in mate uh, Tommy been a bloody good spring how's it been you're at the forefront of it you're always in studio you're in the sky racing truck what's it been like for you mate yeah, mate, it was um, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good um, carnival. Still a couple of little things to go, but um, it's yeah, it's a good spot to be. Just just sitting back watching it, like trucks or whatever. It was it was it just in control room or just watching on TV. There's no better place to be because there was just some great racing, saw some good horses, and saw some um, new blood on the scene too. Really taking it to. Um, Taking centre stage, I mean, we had Animo retire and um, a few other horses, sort of uh, Nature Strip and Eduardo retire too, and some some horses step up. So yeah, it was it was good. It was really good carnival, I reckon. Well, you, Coe, um, I know the carnival. We've got a couple of listed races in Sydney, and Melbourne, and stuff this week, and got Perth and whatnot. But the crux of what we get into is probably over. But what did you make of spring, mate? Busy spring goes longer than ever, but saying that the the talent just keeps growing and growing. I think the this year's crop was really strong uh, compared to a couple of the other years off past anyway. And I don't know, it was although albeit being long, it was just there was a storyline every week. There was upsets, there was favourites winning, there was just yeah. The we got to see the characters of the game, and they really shone through this spring and. I mean, it's going to be a matter of, you know, weeks before we start thinking about the autumn. So the the game never sleeps, essentially. And um, But as for the spring itself, I thought it was great and a couple of winters in between, which helped. So looking forward to what we've got to talk about today. Yep, so we're going through, we just mentioned, or Tommy mentioned Animo getting retired. Today, Equinox uh, has pulled the pin. So obviously one of the absolute stars. And on the weekend, it... Uh, 
Sunday or whatever it was, won the Japan Cup. We'll have a little listen to that guy. Seed runners are there. Dan and Lucas, Sean and Bashito running a big race as well. Pantalassa, his run surely must have come to an end. And here's Equinox, the big white face on Equinox, the son of Kinasan Black. He's in the clear. It's going to be such an easy win indeed into the closing stages. It's Equinox under Christoph Lemire. It's a champion jockey, a champion horse up to the line. Equinox wins it from Liberty Island in second stars on earth. Then came to two title holder next. All right, Coey, why don't you take it away? I know when I asked you for a bit of a list on your favourite moments of spring, I sort of wanted Australia, but you wanted to include Equinox. So take me away why Equinox was such an amazing career. A lot of people might not follow much of overseas racing, but this horse is a star, right? Yeah, um, straight off the back of the Japan Cup win, uh, Timeform Time Form released the global rankings and readjusted, and Equinox essentially landed as the highest-rated Japanese horse ever. So... He got a rating of 136, which no Japanese horse has ever, you know, got. And we've seen some special ones like your know, Sadashis and your Almond Eyes and so forth. But uh, it just proves that, and that win itself, like I could watch that over and over again. Just how oh, easy is just an understatement. I think we spoke about this just before we hit record, and it was just. It just got the shake of the reins and no whip, no nothing, and then it just cantered in and one by four and and never no oh, stress, it was amazing. never no stress that there's a horse like two hundred meters ahead of him or whatever it feels like that far. It was just such a good racing style. You know he's going to come, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think there were, from what I hear, there were some nervous people at the track, kind of rounding for rounding the six hundred meter point, and then as soon as Panthalassa, who was the outright leader, and that's how he's races. Uh, he goes forward, but I don't think anyone knew that he'd be going 12 lengths in front into the turn. So I think there were a few nervous moments, but as soon as Christophe Lemaire hit the go button, he just lengthened out and oh, it was so easy to watch. And what a horse. It's a shame we have to retire. And there's been a few chats on Twitter saying, you know, why does, uh, why does it have to retire? Can we, you know, fr- freeze the semen? going forward and this and the other thoroughbred racing as we all know is all natural and that's how they feel books but uh, boy i would have loved to see him go for another season to see the see him take over the world me too what do you think of him tom um were you an arm and die fan in the past i think we commented when oben bermai came down they're just they they're obviously racehorses but they're almost built differently they're small some can be smaller but there's just so much power there the likes of Arm and I, I love seeing the the white Sadashi as well and watching Equinox the other day, just never got out of second gear and just a, there was a moment where you thought, oh, this leader's off and running and then all of a sudden just a couple of digs in the rib and it just flew and there was plenty left in the tank. So I was, I was a bit surprised from the, um, for hanging up the, the hooves, the boots, whatever. Uh, but yeah, him, him at studs, uh, Mouthwatering uh, prospects. I know. Um, reading some stuff from Andrew Hawkins, the the Japanese have gotten really into um Australian mares over there, in the likes of Fun Star and Young Star and Yankee Rose's prodigy has been doing some amazing things. So um, love she ran second. So yeah, well that's right, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, really love to see. Equinox with some Australian mares that go over there would be, uh, yeah, be great to see. 
Big time. All right, we go to Melbourne Cup. So that is obviously one of the big ones for us. The Zara doing the double. I really wanted to get the interview from uh, his wife, uh, Lise, but it's never been shared on social. She did swear live on Channel 7 with Richo, but I've got a little bit of a transcript. So uh, she said, I was so sick before this race. My husband said, if you have a bad dream, you say it out loud, and if you have a good dream, you don't say it. I only told him part of my good dream, and that was that we drew barrier seven, and then we drew seven. But the other part of my dream was that we fucking won. And that was the dream on Tuesday night. Oh, sorry. I swore. So I really would have loved to get that, but that was an amazing part of the post-race. But um, let's play the finishing stages of the Cup, and then we'll go into it. By right you are. Vauban's only about four or five off them. Absurd the outside. Gold Trippers tanking through. Needs runs. Deshaun Sweet Jr.'s wedging through them. And Alan Kerr, plenty of hopes around the corner. Into the street in the Lexus Melbourne Cup. And here's Vauban on the outside of future history. And Vau and Declare between them. Absurd is also chiming in. 400 metres to go. It's absurd moving up on the outside for Zach Purden. A length in front but without a fight is running on right down the centre of the track. Without a fight up to absurd bow and declare and Shiraz the bolter it's without a fight a hundred meters to go two or three lengths in front coming away from Shiraz and also Solcom without a fight Mark Zara a Melbourne Cup champion wins it by two lengths second in the race Pretty bloody amazing, to be honest, watching him do that. Um, obviously, a lot of the chat was Vauban on his efforts overseas and the stable mate as well, but they were not there at the end. You've got uh, Solcom. If you watch that head-on, it is ridiculous, going zigzagging and f- missing the start like he always does and then finishing second. Obviously, the, the Bolter in Shiraz boosted up all the uh, exotics, so good luck if you had that in your, in your mysteries and whatnot, but... Uh, I'll go to you, Tommy, first. What do you think of the efforts of Without a Fight? Obviously, doing the double, which is pretty uh, unheard of, hasn't been done for uh, decades, and gets the Caulfield Cup, gets the Melbourne Cup. Zara says, I'm riding Without a Fight. I am not jumping on Gold Trip, and didn't he prove us all wrong? Yeah, it used to be the um, um, Caulfield into the Melbourne Cup, the winners. Um, But, yeah, it's been a long time, I think, over 18 years, so... They've all riding off there. I know a lot of people, big fan of his Brisbane Carnival as well. And uh, I think we said it on here a bunch that Zara getting off last year's Melbourne Cup winner to go with without a fight was a massive call. And um, that should have been how he was pricking up there because um, he did it for a reason and it paid off massively because it, um, it bolted in. I was a big fan of Willie Mullins' horse and it, it took off on the turn and I thought it was going to keep going on with it. But, um, yeah, without a fight was just way too good. And yeah, Sulcum, um, Sulcum flew late after missing the jump, but it was a lot of people spoke about the ride, but yeah, you never know. Uh, Joe Maria knows a couple of things about riding horses. What kind of feat is this, Coey? Um, I guess racing fans generally know the ins and outs of this sort of stuff, but to the everyday fan winning two cups, winning, Caulfield Cups, winning Melbourne Cups just doesn't happen every day. No, so uh, I think 12 horses, now 12, with without a fight, have done the Caulfield Cup, Melbourne Cup double. And like the last couple in itself are big names. You're, you're thinking, you're talking of Let's Elopes, Doremus, Might and Power, Ethereal, to just name the, the most recent four. To be in that little list, it's, it's pretty crazy, to be absolutely honest. And when I was in, I was lucky enough to be in Queensland when he won the Q22 dominantly, absolutely dominated that race. And 
going into this preparation, um, its first up run I think was a little bit flat, but as soon as it lengthened, like stretched out to your, your twenty four hundred mile and a half, and then the two miles. I mean, who's to say? I mean, the sky's the limit. I think it's a seven year old, which is quite old, but saying that it. If they just keep it, you know, wrapped in cotton wool, I'd say it's definitely going to go, be another chance this time next year to run probably both races and potentially win both races. So oh, it, it's crazy to think, and we we could have an absolute champion horse here. And I mean, Sheikh Mohammed, um, <laughs> he'd be laughing. I'd say Anthony and Sam Freeman, and along with Mark Zara, would have just pocketed the whole entire purse. I don't think the Sheikh would have really cared about the money. I think he would have just been wanting the hardware to put on his mantle so oh it, it's such a great storyline he must be such a good judge of horses mark zara because gold trip that caulfield cup was enormous and i think even after that race that where he wrote without a fight to the victory he was if he, he said in the post-race interview it felt like he was cheating on the horse <laughs> it was like uh, it felt like a, a, a missus that he's just cheating on with a side girl so he must just know what it takes to win this Melbourne Cup, which not many jockeys do in this jockey room anyway. So good on him. All props to him. And, I mean, Sulkham, I think Tommy's pretty much hit the nail on the head. Marrera gave it every chance. He had a chance to go outside. But once again, it's it's a war of attrition. And, like, you have to make that split-second decision at the right time to essentially find the gaps and potentially win or lose. And unfortunately for it, it was pretty much a loss as soon as it came out of the barriers, I guess. So it drew low, but missed the kick. So what do you do? I think the Waller camp has to re-educate the horse or they'll have to do something with it. They'll just have to take, you know, take it back to training. How do we make it, make sure that it doesn't do that again? Because it'll be a genuine cups chance again this time next year, if it can learn to jump. And yeah, Shiraz was an absolute bolter. I luckily had a couple of quid on him by absolute miracles because we drew him in the sweep a couple of times. But overall, great cup, great great addition. And I, I love seeing an Australian trained cup horse win. So great to see that. It did prove for a big exotic. I did see, I did speak to someone who's friend of a friend, the guy won 2.7 million on a mystery first four. He did put $200 on a mystery first four, but did a lot of them, but I'm sure they would have well and truly paid for themselves. Um, very good. Let's go to the $20 million race in Sydney. So the Everest, uh, think about it, saluted. It was, I wish I win, Private Eye in Secret Cylinder, Hawaii 5 Espiona, Buenos Notches, Shinzo Overpass, Mazu, and Alcohol Free came last. So on that day, uh, I was out there, I think you boys were working, but there was a quite of a leader bias. So there was a, a stack of chat about Overpass um, drawing two and then kicking up and then seeing if anyone would, would chase him down. But... Uh, wasn't the case. Overpass ended up finishing 10th. I think I stood and watched it with Brad uh, Brad Gray. He was uh, pretty bullish on I Wish I Win. So he, that was a bit of a tough luck story for him. Only lost by 0.3 or two of a length or something. Uh, but think about it. Obviously, like we said on the Everest Pro, um, podcast we did, winners just win. I was on Private Eye. But uh, let's hear the end of it with uh, Mr. Flindell. Think about it. Then came Private Eye on a three-wide path. I wish I went back on the inside looking for room as they come around the corner now. And the leader is overpassed. Alcohol three dropped off. Cylinder comes off the fence. Think about it. Strides up. Private Eye. Espiona trying to work into the clear. I wish I wins running behind them. He 
I think the more I watch that, I think I wish I win was a bit stiff. It's an amazing run by that. But likewise, Cylinder, I think there was plenty of good runs in that. But uh, Koai, back to you. Uh, think about it, wins. Obviously, what did it come out of a benchmark race into winning an Everest in the matter of less than a year? So pretty sickening. Um, but same thing, Joe Pride, how good? First and third. Oh, it's so good to see these... Like Joe Pride, legend himself, and great to see him salute. Uh, I know that he was in the lead-up interviews. He was, uh, I wouldn't say stress, but there was a lot of publicity, and you know, he'd won two Group Ones on a horse that people thought that wouldn't win Group Ones. I mean, like you said, uh, about under a year ago, was winning benchmark races. I mean, he only started his career in July thirtieth, twenty twenty-two, winning a Colton Geldings. Maiden, uh, maiden plate as a four-year-old. Win, win, third. Win, 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 win. And then just a picket fence next to his name. Took it to Queensland, won the Kingsford Smith, uh, won the Stradbroke, and then Newgate and Co. locked it in for the Everest. And, my God, it, it was trained to the minute. I mean, I literally say the minute because obviously that third up run in the Giga Kick Stakes was a bit of a letdown. It kind of fell flat when it had every chance to win. But my goodness, uh, what a horse! Great, great story. And congrats to the even the you know the proven thoroughbreds team. You know, I think they bought this syndicated horse for about sixty or seventy thousand dollars. And it's just another proven theory that you you don't need to have a big wallet to have a great horse that is competitive at the biggest biggest races in Australia so it was definitely the biggest takeaway from that race I wish I win you've already mentioned super unlucky Peter Moody I think will be looking to step it out further um I think they were talking about going to the Stratty next year was that right I think I think I heard that TJ Smith will be the first up run which is (laughs) pretty crazy to think and then bounce into the Queensland carnival for a couple of races and then target the Everest again this time next year as for think about it, I'm not sure what its plan is, but uh, it's a gelding. It's only five years old. Sky's the limit. Just keep racing, I'd say. Did anything surprise you in that race, Tommy? Um, obviously, like I said, there was quite a lot of chat about overpass and leaders happening on the day and, you know, whatever. I think it, was, it ended up finishing back of the pack. But did any of the others uh, impress you, surprise you, run poorly? What do you reckon? Yeah, well, there was a bit of carnage on the uh, turn where Spiona sort of um, shifted out a bit. And I do, I do think Buenos Noches um, and a couple of others there really were hampered by it. Uh, in secret, I thought was massive as well. But Overpass is a big disappointment because Overpass was the only one that didn't... Um, it was basically market order apart from Overpass. We heard a, um, a punter in New Zealand won... Ten million dollars or something yeah, for getting yeah. one to twelve for free, yeah. And it was yeah, it was basically market order except just potting um overpass. So yeah, it was really disappointing. I I turned to I turned to a mate on the day and after um uh, front page bolted in after a few um uh, the legend horse early and a couple of others leaders got in. I had a bit of an all up with um front page into overpass thinking that, yeah, the, the fence is hot and there was no real speed and that's why I think everyone liked overpass with that just touch of bias and, yeah, it was really disappointing and 
even listen to beaten jockeys after. I think there were 11 happy jockeys and the only one wasn't was Josh Parr saying, no, it wasn't up to scratch. So, um, yeah, a bit disappointing for that uh, overpass, but maybe he gets a chance at a group one this weekend. Favourite in the uh, winter bottom. Yeah, massive disappointment in the Everest. There was... Um, we had some great scenes of all the owners, all the Cowboys and the Ram racing. You know, come over from Perth in their bolo ties and uh, came out to see. So we were expecting a bit more. But um, I still think the Think It Over story is amazing. Get, coming from benchmark races all the way up to Everest, just ticking every box along, winning a straight broke, um, winning some sprint races. And his other horse, Private Eye, was probably unlucky as well. Unlucky not to Quinella the race. And... Um, you touch on I wish I win was probably a bit unlucky as well, but that's you need everything to go right in a big race like that because you got twelve of the best sprinters and um, yeah, everything needs to go right on the day. So real, real credit to the winner. I remember you just said earlier about uh, Buenos Noches copping a bit of a bit of strife, and then obviously we see what he did uh, when he went down to the champion sprint and sprint and rode really well behind Imperatries, which is where I'm going now. So Imperatries, obviously unbeaten over spring, um, it went and ran in the Dali Sprint, and there was a few or champion sprint. It went there's a few yarns about whether it can um, handle the up the straight, and that's where I was all over in secret thinking it was probably a better bet. I think we all agreed on that that day. Price-wise, were we taking $2 uh, Imperatories or were we going to take the $4 or $5 or whatever was on offer? But uh, let's listen to the end of the champion sprint up the straight. Patrol in secret tracks as Fura, followed by Lofty Strike Air Man, Buenos Noches, Saint Magique, well back Espiona, and last is Balanipatina. So 450 metres to go, it's front page in front, freewheeling by a length Imperatriz, then Star Patrol as Fura, back behind those in secret, and then came Buenos Noches, front page joined by Imperatriz at the 200 metres, Buenos Noches and in secret trying to chase down Imperatriz at the 150, Imperatriz in front, Buenos Noches coming at her, but it's Imperatrice, she digs in, she's a neck in front, another star turn from a brilliant bear, Imperatrice from Buenos Noches in secret. Watching that race again, and actually just keeping an eye on Buenos Noches, that was actually bloody huge, there was movement around the 300-400 mark trying to get out and get where where it should get some clear running from Blake Shin, actually rode really, really well, but uh, Imperatrice, Coey, a uh, bit of a star, um, going undefeated, what do we make of her? It's won eight group ones now, um, it's Crazy to think, and my God, like, yeah, we weren't really potting her, but boy, she just, she put egg on our faces. She was absolutely amazing down the straight, and you know what, like, I don't know what the connections are going to do with her. I genuinely don't, and you look back, right, so you go back to her preparations back in New Zealand. She used to win over the mile. Funnily enough, in one of those mile races, which was a group one at Trentham, beat I Wish I Win by a couple of lengths crazy to think what the upside is going forward it's one eight group ones the connections through and through said when we don't we're not interested in the everest they just wanted group ones next to a name and they went for the more prestige side of things and they proved us wrong they proved all the doubters wrong and now thinking, you know, what does it do in the autumn? The best thing that Mark Walker's ever done is the fact that he's got a training facility in Australia nowadays at Cranbourne, and she'll be coming back in the autumn without a doubt. I just have to assume she's going to probably come up for 
the TJ being the grand final. I don't think she'll stay any longer, but the way she ran, I'd say she'd be winning. And speaking of the bookies, uh, before the Everest was run, they were happy to post her as pretty much an odds-on favourite if she was definitely going. It was only posted at a wider price purely because it was doubtful, and we all knew it was doubtful pretty much straight after the first run it had. So that's why it was sitting still at the $5, $6 mark. But if it was definitely conf- uh, confirmed with a slot holder, everything else aside, they reckon they would have started a close to an odds-on price. And thinking that it's a premier best sprinting race on the calendar to be an odds-on favourite, it's it's... It's ridiculous. After seeing so, what she did over spring, do you think she would have beaten Think About It and the likes? I, I have to think so. Like I, Yes, it's got to be a little bit of doubt in my mind, but she's so versatile. She can sit anywhere and she can just win. And she's got that great quality. And yes, there was that leader bias, but if she drew 1 to 12, it doesn't matter where she drew, she would find herself in a great posse. And that acceleration she showed down the straight, or even the Manicato and the likes, was absolutely mind-boggling. Like, she broke track records on the way to that new champion sprint win. So, yeah, I I don't know what she'll do, but she the connections must be hungry for an Everest next year. I mean, eight group ones, I think, is enough. Do I want to see her run overseas? Potentially. I think she'll be great at, like, a King Stand or the likes at Royal Ascot, or even go to Hong Kong. I don't know. Like, I think she is a quality animal and she could be one of the best that we've seen. Like, if I were to compare peak nature strip, I could probably compare her to her. Like, she's shown some ability and she can keep showing that ability for a couple more years. She's only five and I'd say, I don't know, like, broodmare sales-wise, she'd be, I don't know what the asking price would be. It'd be something ridiculous. Melody Bell went for, I think, about three and a half million. And I have to think that this girl will be going for upwards of a six. Yeah. Upwards of six. And that's a crazy price tag to think about. But you have to remember, alcohol free was bought for 10 million by you long. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? That's right. Uh, well, I just want to see her. I would love to see her at Ascot. That would be unbelievable. Yeah, I would love to see her in the Everest. And if you want to back her in the Everest, it's five bucks. I think I've just had a look at a few different books, and I think the best you can get at five dollars from what I see, which is pretty cool. Five bucks, Imperatories, six dollars. Think about it. Eight dollars. I wish I win. And eleven dollars, Giga Kick. So, Tommy, what did you think of it? Um, any thoughts or where you'd like to see her next year? Um, yeah, I think everyone would um, like to see a trip to Royal Ascot or potentially run into TJ against some other sprinters. One I wanted to touch on is everyone's forgetting about Giga Kick at the moment and um, a third behind Imperatories seemed like the end of the world a couple of months ago. And the way it all turned out, I think um, it doesn't look that bad now. And I'm really interested in hopefully Giga Kick's right and comes back really strong. I'd love to see him clash over twelve hundred because I think that's um I think that'd be a mouthwatering clash and um you throw in a I wish I win, think it over, in my in my go to two thousand or private eye, like you throw some of those sprinters in there, then I think it's um yeah, really mouthwatering clash. So I reckon TJ, yeah, TJ and Autumn's gonna be a big one if we get um a few of those horses go there. I think you keep you keep giving um 
brush and think about it for Think It Over. You've said it a few times. So I wasn't going to do Think It My Over bad. now, but I'm going to do it now <laughs> because this is one of Tommy's favourite favorite runs from spring. I was going to go the Cozzy then just because it was the same day. But Think It Over has always been one of Tom's horses and the win in the seven stakes. I can't remember what date it was, but it was at least a couple of months ago. It was the beginning of spring. So we're going to listen to Think It Over winning the seven stakes at Randwick and then Tommy's going to uh, pick up. Tom's going to pick up and take it away. At the 500 metres, coasting along in the lead by a length on Zaki. Two lengths away then, two think it over, starting to come into the race. Nash about to come off heels, hasn't done so yet. Then Zarek, my Obron's creeping into the race. But Zaki, Chad Schofield said go. Zaki races, two lengths clear. Think it over. Now he gets off heels. It's Zaki a length in front. Think it over's coming. Zaki in front. Think it over. Being lifted by Nash. Yes, got up. Think it over. Nailed Zaki right on the line. Yeah, it was um, it was a really good win. It was third up in the new seven stakes, which um, is a mile over um, on that George Main stakes day. The George Main moving to Everest Day called the King Charles. But the, that new seven stakes, it was his third up run. Had two really good return races. We hadn't seen him um, since that incredible ride Nash had. No one gave him a chance on the um, and and Nash just went to the outside and one of the great wins you'll see and just just um, one of the great blokes, Kerry Parker from Kembla Grange, training an absolute champion and uh, for him to come back after a really serious injury, I, I it was my moment. Um, put, we put it out there it was my moment of the spring because um, he came just the fact he came back and ran. Um, it, it was a six, but it was a great six in that wing stakes and then. Um, a third in the Chelms for Navajo Pete sort of yeah, knocked him off, but we thought, oh, no, he's seriously back. And then to win the first ever seven stakes, I, I thought it was a really good win. Um, Nash Nash got really emotional after it as well and just seeing that horse back and um, just seeing it for a good bloke like Kerry Parker. I think I think Co might have been with me. I, I was at the track a couple of years ago with some of the owners in the table harness and just having a chat to them, they just seem like really good people too. So, just um, love to see that those sort of people win those big group ones that just yeah really love their racing, get around it, and um, yeah, it's something for the battlers. Coe, you can count on one hand the the jockeys you want to lift your horse over the line. Nash surely is at the top of that. No, oh, he's right up there. He's definitely right up there. He gives it every every ounce of energy to. <laughs> find the the winning post first and my goodness like what a win it was what a win and no one wants to have a horse bow their tendon it's an extremely hard injury to come back from and tommy's pretty much just said everything i wanted to say it's for the connections for kerry parker for nash it's just a great story it's heartwarming it's yeah just the narrative in itself was just beautiful and who knows? It it might be its last run. I don't know, but it goes up on a it goes out on top, and I know that it didn't do. Oh, I mean, it was okay in the King Charles, but just to have that win in its last prep in a newly touted seven stakes, that's special. Like the inaugural running, it's had a year and a half off due to a tendon, and just wins. And you just go, and it it defeated a field that was strong. You know. You see Fangirl. Fangirl's been in the top echelon against Animo, the likes, taking out the King Charles herself. 
and like the likes of Zarkin, the the list goes on. But yeah, great storyline. I I loved how it played out, and hopefully we get to see more of it. Not him, sorry. All right, let's go back to Everest Day. We're going to talk about the Cozzy, uh, a race that you both were pretty involved with in the lead up. Uh, we were just, fuck, we were so close to getting a bloody uh, a slot when it says a male from Narrabeen. That really hurt me. But um, front page took the absolute piss, an absolute crack and ride by Tyler Schiller for Matt Dale. 550 or six bucks, I think it paid. The favourite was Opal Ridge, which ended up finishing second. But this ride, I remember standing there watching it at track. I was just in awe. So this was another uh, leader's race. But let's listen to this one. Magic well positioned and a few lengths further back to Opal Ridge going into fifth into the straight now and front page in front from Kimberly Secret now Opal Ridge is falling away she's trying to get into the race but front page is giving a tremendous kick front page got five lengths clear Opal Ridge it's a bridge too far by the looks of it then far too easy and front page Tyler Schiller go back to back in the Kosciuszko Opal Ridge second far too easy Tommy, I know we talk about Mark Zara going back-to-back in the Cup, but this was still pretty cool. It was massive. I think it meant so much. It was uh, the trainer just retired, giving it to Matty Dale, first up run, bit of an unknown. Um, Tyler going back-to-back. We spoke to Tyler last year, and he said it um, It meant the world to him to do it for the people in his area as well, growing up um, around that Riverina area, the the owners, um, Nick Corowa as well, just um, it was just an all Riverina affair and it just meant so much to the people and they were just hanging around after the race so much, just embracing each other and even Matty Dale was getting a bit emotional and he'd only had the horse for that. For That was his first run under him and he wins a Kosciuszko for him. So it, it was really good scenes and I, it really meant something to Ty. He's... He doesn't show a lot of emotion, I feel, Tyler, but he really he really let it out there. He got fine celebrating and it just you could tell it just meant the world to him. Coey, thoughts? Uh, I remember this time last year, I think it was me and you, Tanners, in the the enclosure yep. and we got we got to witness it and it was Tyler's birthday and my goodness, yeah, he would have had some celebrations off the back of it. But Matty Dale is such an underrated trainer. I know Jeff Duray did great things with uh, this horse, but Matty, Duray, uh, Matty Dale has done wonders to him. He knew that he wanted to run him in fresh. He's only had two runs this preparation, one in a group one champion sprint, where he was only five lengths behind in Peritris. And you know what? Like I think that measures up still relatively strong. I mean, it's a country galloper. It's had seven wins, four minors, two and a half million dollars next to its name. And it's one back-to-back Kosciuszko's. Um, what more can you say? I'd say I'd be curious to ask Tyler. Obviously, the two races that come to mind that are probably most significant to his early career would be winning the Kosciuszko and winning uh, the Galaxy on Maria Mia. But sorry, this guy must be his favourite horse. Like Just the fact that it's representing his region and everything else, uh, it just makes it even more special. I think he was a boy that grew up, I don't know, just down the road, wasn't he? Um, I can't remember the chat exactly, but he was in a harness racing family about, you know, 50, 100 kilometres away from Wagga. And look where, look where he is now. I mean, he's going to be around for a long time, both Matty Dale and Tyler Schiller and onwards and upwards, I'd say. 
Yeah, unbelievable. A really cracking guy, Tyler. He seems to be. We've spoken to him a couple of times, and he just seems like an absolute legend. So uh, amazing to do back-to-back. All right, we are going to go back down south. I'm going to talk about the champions, Mile and Pride of Jenny. Pride of Jenny did something that not many horses have ever done, and it was... um, Won the Empire Rose, and then a week later won the Champions Mile. And not only just Champions Mile, but the horses he was um, they were up against. It was Mr. Brightside, Alligator Blood, Fangirl, coming in second, third, and fourth. The others were there as well. Pretty good. So the, the inevitable banker's choice, Victoria Road. But the ride by Declan Bates, especially the first one, everyone went, oh, what a masterclass. They won't let him do that again. And then what did he do in the Champions Mile? Two lengths, Victoria Road, a similar gap, Mr. Brightside. Then came Banker's Choice, the inevitable, and Fangirl is 15 off the leader. Approaching the turn, 600 to go. Pride of Jenny, can she do it again? She's six in front of Alligator Blood. They were followed by Victoria Road, Mr. Brightside. Back behind them, Banker's Choice, the inevitable, and now Fangirl, Jay McWhorter to the outside, and she's starting to soar into it. Pride of Jenny of the 350. Three lengths in front of Alligator Blood, Mr. Brightside. Then came Fangirl down the centre of the course. Pride of Jenny starting to paddle at the 200 metres. She's a length and a half in front of Alligator Blood. But she's fighting Pride of Jenny. She's still clear from Alligator Blood. And Mr Brightside, Pride of Jenny. This has been spectacular. And Pride of Jenny won again from Mr Brightside, Alligator Blood. And then that is unreal. Um, I love watching it. I love watching leaders hold on. It just makes you think of the Oaks back in the day, um, Lasketti spirit style. But we look at what Declan Bates did there, Coey, and we look at someone like Fango, who went around very short. I think it was $2.40 in the end, and then all the money was coming for it. Like you hear from Matt Hill in the call, 15 lengths back to be making it up. And I know the bit of the rail was pretty hot at Flemington that day. So what do we make? This is pretty unreal. To beat the likes of these ones and then to still get a price the following week, knowing what um, what they did the week before, pretty cool, eh? Unbelievable stuff from Declan Bates. I I remember reading the sectionals posted by Pride of Jenny off the back of that Champions Mile. And he's written an absolute peach. Like all his sectionals progressively got better by the last 200. So he had a clock in his head and he was just toying with them at the end of it. Um, the fact that he was doing, I think from the 1400 onwards, he was doing 11 and a half and then progressively getting better and better, whereby he, he definitely paddled, or she definitely paddled in that last 200, but still still won by one and a half or whatever it worked out to be. So sensational tactics by De- Declan Bates. Can't take anything away from him. But I guess the, I've had a few yarns with, People who are well, willing to listen, more or less. <laughs> a couple of local boys. And they're, they're all asking me, oh, what do you think of that race? And why, did, why didn't the other horses win? And my assumption is that every connection, so second, third, and fourth, so your Alligator Blood, Fangirl, and Mr. Brightside, all connections would have pretty much been like, follow Alligator Blood, just time your own with Alligator Blood. Pride of, they're pretty much discounted and disregarded Pride of Jenny being in the race because we all know what she does. We saw what she did. And I reckon that's what the trainers pretty much just told the jockeys. They just went, you know what? Alligator Blood will probably climb over the top of Pride of Jenny. So just follow Alligator Blood, time your run, come 400, hit the button. If you're three quarters away from Alligator Blood, you're probably good. And that's pretty much what happened with Mr. Brightside because, you know, around the 400, Willow said go. Went past Alligator Blood, but Pride of Jenny was still three lengths ahead. Uh, so I think it was just a master, masterful ride by Declan. And I mean, 
Kieran Ma and David Eustace, they're no slouches and they would have just given them full confidence, uh, taken on board full confidence from Declan Bates' win the week before in the Empire O's and two group ones in one week. I just want to spare a thought um, for Regan Bayless. So Regan Bayless obviously rode Pride of Jenny in the autumn on a heavy eight and was instructed to go like Vaux Rogue and he led by 28 lengths and then copped a 19-day suspension because he rode to instructions. And he had the text message. He showed the text message that he was told to ride like that. It was obviously Kieran and um, and the owners and, and David have seen those two Group 1 wins in long before, but um, that was on the heavy eight. And then we've seen him on um, some good three tracks and obviously a lot better there, but... Um, I just yeah feel for Regan a bit there, and Declan Bass gets to cash in on a um, on two Group One wins. But it's just funny how racing works. Sometimes it's um, swings and roundabouts. But yeah, it's you, you do like to see a leader. This is Rogue and I remember the cleaner back in the day really taking him up front, and um, it does add a bit of spectacle and a bit of theatre to it as well. It just um, throws a cat amongst the pigeons and. Yeah, you get you get some funny results, but obviously, um, Kieran and Kieran and David love their stats and um, treat treat racing very sports science, very twenty twenty three um, in the way they do it, and they um, often come up trumps, and that's a big uh, reason why. Yep, they sure know their shit. So that was amazing. Pride of Jenny, Declan Bates, like you said, poor Regan Bayless, copped it, got a got a ride, copped a ban, and then in comes Declan. All right, let's stay in Melbourne. I am going to go to the Cox Plate. So this was another crack and race. This is I had this I had J Mac in my he obviously won a bunch of group ones, but the fact what he did on Romantic Warrior and Riff Rocket, I just think it's amazing, right? We're going to use Riff Rocket as well. I think Coey had it in his list, but Romantic Warrior won by the barest of margins over Mr. Brightside, which I think a few of us had a couple of bucks on. Alligator Blood was there, filling out the top three. Uh, but this is uh, the Cox. Alligator Blood at the 200 took the front. Romantic Warrior the outside. Alligator Blood at the 100. Romantic Warrior, Mr. Brightside. Still Alligator Blood. Mr. Brightside coming at it with Romantic Warrior. It's a photo finish. Mr. Brightside or Romantic Warrior. It's a photo finish. Now, this was bloody close. So, obviously, Romantic Warrior got the chocolates. Uh, Went around as a bit of a shorty in the Turnbull, and people sort of disregarded uh, Romantic Warrior, but... Look what he did there, Coey. What did you make of that? Was that just a bit of J-Mac magic as well, just pushing him over the line when both the, I think you and I were both on Mr. Brightside? I was chips in on Mr. Brightside, but, I mean, all, all credit goes to the connections. I think um, everyone, yeah, like you said, everyone was a little bit flat after the Turnbull visit. Uh, I think it was a little bit of a, a pipe opener. I think it was a little bit one, one speed and one pace and, I think it just needed that run to really go on with the big target, the only target that it essentially came here for, which is the Cox Plate. And, oh, boy, that I thought Mr. Brightside won. I don't know about you boys, but I thought it won. And then that slow-mo comes in. And I'm like, uh-oh, wait a minute. What's happening? Oh, no, have I been pipped on the uh, post here? It's going to be exciting to see how – well, I mean, Romantic Warrior is huge in Hong Kong, obviously, for those that pay attention to that jurisdiction. But – it's going to be running in about two weeks' time in the international round. So, or maybe is it is that this weekend? No, it's not this weekend. It must be next weekend. But there's some great ones be, next week. Yeah, 
yeah, that's going to be huge, and I'm sure it's going to be a short price favorite. Um, I don't really have too much to add. I I thought it was a it was going to be a real test uh, of a Hong Kong galloper coming to Australia, and look what it's done. Like we'll touch on Oban Burma, I'm sure, but like a couple of these international raiders have come come in for a hidden run mission and taken our coveted prizes, and it takes a special horse to do so. So I mean, great horse, great win. J Mac timed it to a T, and J Mac's done it again, hey? Who'd you back there, Tommy? I don't remember anymore. It's all blurred into one, but yeah, it, it, it was it was a sensational race. And J Mac um, spoke about Romantic Warrior for so long, and he he never looked happier after a win after that race and getting the interview. And he said, "This is why. This is why. This is why he said so, so tough. This is why I've stuck with him the whole time." And yeah, just just um, showed that faith in him, and it it paid off massively, and that's why he was um, so happy. I was yeah, I just remembered I was with Militarized, the three year old that was a bit disappointing, but um, I thought Fangirl showed a bit as well, and yeah, Mister Brightside and Alligator Blood both um, had really big springs, and um, coming second and third in a Cox Plate, yeah, it was well deserved. You just mentioned a bit earlier, Tommy, with um, the Everest horse uh, jockeys, um, everyone being you know, relatively happy except one. A couple of weeks later, though, Josh Parr was pretty happy uh, winning a $10 million race in the Golden Eagle. Coe just mentioned Oban Buramai uh, came out and saluted in this. This was an absolute cracking run. If you haven't watched the replay, do yourself a favour. I'll play audio. Trying to start a run. Kovalik has been shuffled back to join Rosita at the tail of the field. On the corner, it's Golden Mile swinging in front from New Endeavour. Communist has done it tough. Pericles needs a run. Then coin toss, Age of Kings. Amelia's Jewel looking to slice through the pack. Hawaii 5-0, still five off. The Nash has got nowhere to go as Golden Mile kicks. The stable mate, Pericles, giving chase. Golden Mile a length. A half on Pericles getting closer. Abam Buramai is charging home. It's Golden Mile. Pericles, Oban Buramai, the Japanese stallion bombed them, Oban Buramai, my goodness, what a great finish, he got up to beat Pericles and Golden Mile. Jesus, some win, Coey, if anyone hasn't watched that, you see what Josh was doing in the straight, it was, he was giving it everything, just gets there on the line. I mean, all I knew going into the race day was that this horse definitely needs ample room to warm up, Uh, definitely kind of seemed like that way in its uh, most recent starts in Japan but boy Josh Josh Parr take a bow he's such an underrated jockey and he's the happiest bloke going around he, no one has a bad bad thing to say about Josh and oh it's great to see him salute on such a big occasion 10 million bucks I mean that's that's life changing it, it would be life changing and it I think the the most interesting storyline to come from it is what does the golden eagle turn into in the coming years and that really excites me you know there's not many not many four-year-old races full stop in the world that is worth especially this price price money so now that an international or a japanese bred horse has done so does that mean it opens doors for the northern hemisphere guys who might think about going to the, you know, the Melbourne Spring Carnival or, you know, there's a big $10 million carrot dangling for this Golden Eagle. And you know what? If I was traveling, I'd be going for the prize money. Personally, that's what I'd be doing. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I saw it come out off the float uh, into Rose Hill and me and another producer, a mate of mine, Alex, we were watching him come out. And I'm like, is that him? Absolute pocket rocket. Just well-defined, absolute athlete of a horse. Like the thing was, I don't know how tall it is, but it, dare I say, it's not much taller than I. And that says a lot. The, the fact that that little horse with the monster heart that it has, has lobbed the way it lobbed, uh, it's, it, it's so great to see. And I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from the, the blue army behind Pericles and Golden Mile. I thought there were minor chances to fill maybe fourth or mi- finish middle of the pack. But yeah, the the whole centerpiece around this race is about this international horse, Oban Buramai, and good on you, Josh, I'd say. Good on you. Yeah, some win, Tommy. Massive. Yeah, to fight it, I think there was a bit of leader's bias on that day as well, and um, you had to be close to the rail, and uh, he did wait late for a gap to appear, and really just perfectly. It, it was it was massive. He got the call late. There was, um, the owner was here, uh, the trainer was here, and got to see Josh through the week and was a, was a really big fan. And, um, yeah, it was just a massive last 200. Uh, Amelia's Jewels, the one I really wish I got to sit on the back of him. It sort of got hampered and um, Tyler Schiller's mount sort of bumped into him, of course, by um, one of the Chris Waller imports as well and um, caused, a little, caused a little kerfuffle and we didn't get to see the best of Amelia's Jewel with a lot of lot of skin being taken off there, so it's set up for a mouthwatering clash. But um, you can't take anything from that winner. That was that was absolutely massive, absolutely massive, and very like you guys have just given Josh a rap. He is one of the great blokes, so he wouldn't have been too sad after the Everest winning a ten million dollar race. Uh, let's go to the Derby. Coe had Riff Rocket as part of his, and I guess part of mine too, with the absolute photo finish. At the end, Riff Rocket won the Derby back on the beginning of November. Um, yeah, very tough. Run made a line of three, two lengths away, air assault for Dad. Then came Rogery, Sunsets. Next is Riff Rocket, still seven off the front. Apulia's trying to get away from the fence to the outside, Gates and McCante. And then came Cosguy, bull away off the top of the straight at the 450. Moved up and took Sacred Eagle, air assault for Dad. They were followed by Sunsets and Riff Rocket down the centre of the course at the 300 metres. Sunsets goes to the lead, three quarters of a length in front of Riff Riff Rocket followed by Apulia. Sunset at the 200. Riff Rocket pegging it back. Riff Rocket took the front. It's just in front. Riff Rocket from Sunset to Apulia. Riff Rocket. Apulia's coming at it. Riff Rocket. Apulia. A head bobber. Head bobber. A photo finish. A thrusting, desperate finish. I tell you what, the Hayes boys must be doing uh, their head in with J-Mac betting him in these photo finishes. But uh, that was Zara in a very, very, very close finish at the end, Tommy, with... um. Riff Rocket. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was on the second horse, which was uh, Zara, which was hurt. But what did you make of the derby? Yeah, a lot of pressure. Uh, Riff, Riff Rocket was spoken about after two starts ago, absolutely braining him, then getting rolled in a race that wasn't suited uh, by sunsets. And, you know, set up uh, for an interesting derby. Yeah, there was a bit of money for Riff Rocket, but I think he drifted late, started about 220 and, yeah, you're you're a bit nervous there towards the end, but uh, I think the best horse won. Yeah, some some um, interesting horses are going to see um, in the staying ranks in this lot going forward. But um, 
when you when you're talking group ones there's two names you want to see on a horse and that's mcdonald and waller and um they proved it right again so why this one go on the list coey oh i'm just speaking from the pocket um yeah fair enough yeah that's, that's literally it i think i was one of the nervous people watching this race at rose hill and i once again i was speaking to alex and i was just like oh has J Mac gone a bit too early here has he got a little bit too early? Because everyone was rallying outside of it and coming coming at it. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And this is getting desperately close. My heart rate, if I had a heart rate monitor, it would have been peaking and flatlining as they finished. Um, luckily, the slow-mo replay looked like it definitely held on for the inside horse. So had a sigh of relief. And um, it will be interesting, like Tommy said, though, from this three-year-old grade. Um, he is a gelding. So... I guess we're going to see him go around in the, the, I guess, the likes of the Guineas again next year and then, I guess, a potential route towards the Melbourne Cup. I mean, it's only a three-year-old being, yeah, I think there is a lot of potential. So it'd be interesting to see where this horse goes in the coming years. But, yeah, pretty much put it on the list because it was for my pocket, yeah. Fair enough. Always good to fill up the pockets. The last one we're going to talk about is uh, the Oaks win by Zardozzi. So Zardozzi went around, um, well, I think it was a relatively short favourite, but it ran the start before, which people had potted a little bit. It ran second to Amazonian last, but look, it, it was still a really good win. A lot of the smart people stuck with, and it was a really, really good one. So I think it won by about Two and a half, three lengths. Ended up paying two seventy. Look who it is. It's J Mac again. Uh, let's listen to finishing. And last comes around the turn. She's off the rails for Clark at the four hundred and fifty. Two lengths. Harlow missed, and then came Everlasting Kiss. Sardozzi brought towards the middle of the course, and Basilina right up on the inside as they reach the three hundred meters. Amazonian last joined by Sardozzi. Ethel fled from a long way back, but Sardozzi kicks into gear. Three lengths in front from Ethel fled, then Basilina, but it's all Sardozzi. Sardozzi coming clear from Ethel fled, and Sardozzi wins the Oaks. For J-Mac, won it by two That was a hot win, Tommy. Huge, huge. And um, we talk about J-Mac being happy. That was his first Oaks win, and he was pretty stoked after that one too. And then we're talking about Riff Rocker going towards the Melbourne Cup. He mentioned Zardozzi. We might see her this time uh, next year. And he sort of put that in the minds of people, thinking that she might even be the better stayer because once she stepped up to that grade, she, she went bang. Special up to Athel Flood as well, coming out of some Kembler maidens and stepping up in grade really, um, really suited him as uh, her as well. Um, and they put a bit of length on the rest of the field. So I think the two of them to are the ones to watch um, in the future in the staying ranks are Dozy and Athel Flood. That was Zara again. So he's run. He's obviously won a couple of big races. He's also come very close seconds uh, in quite a few as well. But, Coey, uh, are you talking from pocket Zardozzi? Did you back that as well? Uh, I did not back it. I thought it, the money was a bit short, and I already had a few futures bets already in this. And, yeah, I didn't I didn't touch it. I just I had little yeah little bits of uh, futures bets on serve cold, and uh, I had a little bit on Amazonian last winning the Wakeful the week before, and... I had, and on the day, I actually had a little bit on Athel Flat because money just poured in. I think it was like $15 when markets opened, or in the all-in markets opened, and then it crashed into 
I don't know, what was it, like five or six bucks? I think it ran it. And, I mean, I'll, I'll be excited to see where that horse goes for Maddie Smith. I mean, it, it looks like a true and true stayer. So, exciting stuff. Royal Blue take another one with uh, J-Mac. No surprises there. And I, it's hands down the best horse one on the day. So, they've got an exciting horse in, uh, on their hands. So, stay tuned here, I'd say. Yep. Uh, Maddie Smith horse ended up jumping about six bucks. So, star in the making. All right, that is pretty much spring. Is there any others you would like to give a wrap to? They don't even have to be group races. They could be provincial, country, anything from you, Coe, that you want to mention? No, question without notice. Um, or Tommy, anything? So some of the jockeys really stepping up. We've seen the likes of like Tyler Schiller, Zach Lloyd. Um, we've sort of spoken about them at the end of autumn, but... Those guys really stepping on the big stage against some pretty good jockeys. The young kids coming through, I think I think they're genuine stars um, and they're ones to watch out on because they'll take on the world, I reckon, these kids. So, um, yeah, big big raps for young jockeys. A special mention, uh, I think, goes to the the weather, the weather gods. Yeah, true. It was pretty that, good, wasn't it, on the east? I think just the fact that we... I mean, this time last year, we were underwater for yeah. a good good chunk of time. So the fact that, you know, the track staff and everyone involved got the dry weather, we got to see massive crowds return to the races. The atmosphere was back for spring and had a real spring feel to it, a couple of really warm days. And, yeah, it was just great to see. It was just a great atmosphere rather than seeing everyone being dreary in the rain and stuck inside. So, yeah, I think the big... Big winner was the uh, the tracks getting the good good weather gods sunshine big time. I'm going to give some over wrap to some of the female jocks. So Rachel King winning becoming the first girl to win the Coolmore. Her win on Osmosis was unreal, and there was always a bit of um, shit given to Jamie Carr, and then she bounced back pretty well in style with uh, six wins. So that was very good to see her jumping back as. You know, a champion jocks are going to stay champion jocks. You don't just give them shit like that, and they're always going to bounce back. So that was really cool to see her do that. And obviously, Ollie wrapping up his uh, time in Melbourne. That was also very cool, spraying him with a lot of booze. He's going to be wrapping his time up in Perth, which we see, I don't know if you saw, but Gay Waterhouse has uh, locked him into his very last Group 1 ride in the northerly, I think it is, Zoomon. So... Ollie, obviously one of the goats, or probably is the goat, and him wrapping him up in Melbourne, which is very, very good. All right, uh, we are going to wrap up with a couple of tips. There is some group and listed racing all around Australia, so we're going to do that. All right, we're going to have a quick look at a couple of the feature races and then give tips and we'll wrap up. So I'm going to start with the Festival Stakes, which is happening at Rose Hill. It's the first leg of the quaddy. Just under a mile, it's 1,500 metres. Equal favourites, Rustic Steel, Grabini, both $4.40. and Karen aboard Grabini, Clippo aboard Rustic Steel. Uh, Rustic Steel opened $6 too, 440 now. Fine points there at sixes. We're out to double figures for the rest of them. Military expert, decent odds too. Uh, just before we hit record, it looks like we're all in um, agreement on Rustic Steel, but Coey, take it away. You with Rustic? I'm with Rustic as well, and I uh, don't really have to go too much into detail. I think it's it's run last starts, the Hunter, yeah, the Hunter, where it was pretty much near last and then just bolted home. I mean, the barrier was... The biggest issue that start, he gets a nice low draw this start. 57 and a half shouldn't be an issue. Should get a far better run in transit. Just sit behind the speed and go bang. 440, I'd take that. Tommy, you agree? 
Yeah, I think we'll definitely be around that soft range to really help some rustic steel. So it looks like a suitable race. Okay. Uh, Zipping Classic down in Melbourne. Uh, Miramasa is looking for four on the trot. It's $4.80 into four forty. It's up against the favourite in Duke DeSessa, though. That's Mark Zara riding for the Maran Eustace camp. That's sixes into three ninety, so it's been well supported. Uh, four sixty for Val and Declare just keeps turning up. That's six dollars this morning. Four sixty now. Deny knowledge had a really good win with Jamie Carr. I think it was, was it last start. Yep, was last start at Flemington, and they were out to big big odds for the rest of them. But um, Coey, can Miramasa make it four on the trot? Definitely think winning form is good form. It draws well here. Can't take anything away from him. I mean this this push for Duke Decessor is something. It's yeah, it's crushed in so. Be wary of of it, drawn low as well. But yeah, I'll be leaning towards Miramasa and a little smoky in the uh, military mission at 10 bucks could lead him up and win. Yeah, could lead John McNeil aboard. Uh, Tommy, thoughts zipping? Yeah, we we're talking about Miramasa uh, last start, and uh, I really wanted to see him do, do well and, and did beat that better field. So um, yeah, got to say that um, I love the demo, my sword, and this is um, a serious racehorse. So can I see Miramessa go around? My one at odds, if Serpentine does go to Melbourne, it's the one to watch there. But, yeah, Miramessa for me. All right, Miramessa, we go to Perth. It's Winterbottom Day, so $1.5 million race, sprint, 1,200 metres. Overpass, we mentioned it earlier, is the favourite. Josh Parr, Bjorn Baker, it's drawn 11. Uh, did open 250, it's out to 320, um, drawing 11. Triple Missile is there at 550 into our out to 7. 7 bucks for Ripcord. If you haven't watched Ripcord's last start win, it was ridiculous. It do yourself a favour and just watch it. Type it into Twitter. Uh, amazing. $7. It was 10 You got Oscar's Fortune, Pikey. Keep an eye on him. He's aboard a horse at $8. It's drawn very wide, though, at 13 Hot Z, 11 uh, Snow Dome, 13 But, um, Coey, overpass. Um, on the drift, are you taking 320 Do you like anything else? I think the drift will continue. I don't know. I've got a feeling that the 320 right now is definitely skinny. Still skinny. I reckon it'll probably start closer to four, four and a half. Um, just for the local support. But if you look at the rap sheet, I mean, it's won the Quokka at Ascot. It's got group one form. It's running an Everest. Uh, so, I mean, the favoritism is warranted. I'd be really interested to see how this ripcord goes. Uh, friend of the show, Darren Orr, was, uh, <laughs> it had a couple of quid on ripcord last start where it flew from the clouds, absolute clouds. Um, whether it can sit a little bit closer on the speed, that's yet to be seen, but $7 is far more, you know, entertainable than the 320 right now. But saying that, I reckon it's going to keep drift, uh, drifting overpass. And I reckon the truer price is close to the $4 point. So if it hits $4, I'll have something on. But ripcord really does interest me. Right, you, Tommy. What are your thoughts? Winter bottom, then going to your around the grounds tips, mate. Look, it's really interesting. I think there is a bit of speed here, um, which could hurt overpass. But, um, Definitely want to see him improve. There's some great comments, though, that he has um, had seven weeks between this run. He does go a bit, with a, a bit better fresh. So you'd think overpass, clearly, with the form. But um, in that ripcord race, I was on the leader that just got run down. And I actually thought it was a really good run. It, it was just <laughs> an outstanding um, win from ripcord. And, of course, Darren uh, was setting that uh, said that to me, had something on Ripcord when I was already on the uh, leader, which is very painful. But, yeah, Oscar's fortune um, with Pikey aboard. Um, I think $8 isn't too bad at the moment. But, yeah, they're 
I'd be a bit bit extra speed that could lead ripcord in. Um, my best, uh, I go back to Rose Hill. I think Storm Boy in the first, if they do run, I think Gay's scratched this a bunch of times. If we do finally see it go round, it is short, but it'll go well. There's a couple of um, a couple of horses from out west for Brett Robb as well. Gallon Star in the highway, I think, is um, is a really good chance. And he's got one simply extravagant, um, coming off a bunch of wins out west as well in the in a big uh, tab country classic. And I think it might just be a good little each way play there. Um, but my main best of the weekend is in the Christmas Cup race nine, Rose Hill and. Big fan of Stockman in this race. I think um, the weather's calm. If we do get a bit more rain as well, I think it will help out. Around the eight bucks now. And we saw the old Stockman a couple of starts ago, really um, set the pace early, um, just go for home a bit, um, bit earlier than usual and really rocketed at home. Very disappointing at Newcastle. But I think a wet Rose Hill really suits um, Stockman at the 2400 So um, $8 for Stockman, I really like. Love that, making your best of the weekend, $8. 260 the place, if you like it, Reese Jones is riding. Coey, anything around the grounds you like, mate? We'll head north, we'll go to Doombin. It's almost their time to shine and a uh, couple of bets. I think if acquitted goes to Queensland, I think it's definitely a good chance. It's a good bet. Jimmy Orman rides, gets barrier one. I think its first up run was enormous. Uh, I'll see plenty of improvement coming second up here in a in a weaker race, definitely. So, 370 right now, definitely can entertain. Uh, we'll move on to race number eight, which is the George Moore Stakes, which is the feature. I think, I, I like, I don't mind something at a bit more of a pricey. I know there is some heavy hitters carrying a bit of weight, though. So, I've looked a little bit further down the page, and I, I don't mind Depor at an each-way quote, eight bucks, 240. I think, first up run, uh, put a pen through it. Put an absolute pen through it. I think the thousand was too sharp and it just didn't work out. It's finished, you know, about three and a half lengths behind over the thousand meters at Sunny Coast. Now we go back to headquarters over the six furlongs. Looks to map a bit better. Uh, race nine, we we see Knight's Choice resume and 2000 meters is where I want to really make my case. I know it's never won over 2000 meters, but. It went on. Uh, it was a short. Oh, was it a short favorite? It was definitely a favorite running uh, last start uh, behind June Forty Five, who I liked on that day. I think the step up in distance is. It just needs it now. I think it just has that bit more time, and it can build the the revs up coming into the home turn. So I think it's definitely the warranted favorite for this race, uh, opposed to last start. So it can take a little bit of. Uh, I reckon a little cheeky multi or a system multi. And I just wanted to note, Tom's favourite horse is running in the lucky last at Doombin. Uh, take a guess which one. The face. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> he, he loves he, he loves cheering at home. And manhood is second favourite. What a surprise. Um, we, you mentioned uh, Depor. I'm just going to mention, so James, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Orman always used to ride Spirit of Boom. He jumped on Depor last start, which obviously didn't go too good. It's on Baller this time. Just news on uh, Prince of Boom. It did have a slight case cardiac arrhythmia, but it's had vet check. It's had a trial and whatnot. They think it's completely perfect. They, can, they think it's bizarre of what happened last start. I know a lot of people were on. I was on for an absolute pile. 
with a lot of last leg multis and standout quaddies and whatnot, um, ended up coming last. But they couldn't really work out. It was like a very slight case, and vets done all the work, trainers have done all the work, stables done the work. They don't really get what's gone on. So keep an eye on that when he comes back. Uh, but yep, deep all like Coey said, eight bucks. And the other one he mentioned was race six. So that was acquitted. All right, boys. Uh, thank you for joining me. Are you guys on the tools on Saturday? Coey's heading west. Heading west. I'm, I'm in. I'm in Perth. Are you? Are you working over there? You betcha. Love that. How long are you over there for? Uh, quick hit and run mission. So I fly tomorrow, so Friday, to return Sunday. My hometown It's one of the great times. It is boiling hot over there at the moment. I'll, I'll be texting you for where to go, but I'm guessing you're just going to recommend me <laughs> and steer me directly to the crown. So, Oh, mate, it's the most ordinary casino of all time. But yeah, it does, it does do well. But if you have time off, let me know. I'll pass you on to a couple of places. I'm going to a festival. On Saturday, so I won't be going. Come to. on, no, you're not. I've been to a festival since probably big day out oh eight or something, but um, I am going to a thing called Good Things uh, at Centennial Park on the weekend. The likes of Limp Biscuit, <laughs> um, bloke from Slipknot is there, I think. Pennywise, Spiderbait, Eskimo Joe, Frenzel Rom. Jebediah Devo is that old band that I think did um, Whip It. Anyway, it's going to be um, quite funny so, to see. So you'll be in your, your best fluoro outfit and uh, uh, rocking in the mosh pit. Gone are the days of doing that, I don't think. It's going to be, I don't know. To be honest, it's going to be pretty interesting, but haven't done it since Big Day Out. I was a big, big, big Day Out operator back in the day. But yeah, festival time, so... Put the bets on, and hopefully there's a collect at the end of the day. So, all right, enjoy Perth. That's um, I'm very jealous of that. But Tommy, I assume you're working. Yeah, mate, holding I'll fort. Be yeah, holding fort. Um, plenty to get around there. I, I went to a concert last night, actually in the Bain, and it was absolutely Post flooded. Yeah, I had some friends go was, there. Um, yeah, underwater. So I hope you go better. I thought you only went to Taylor Swift concerts these days, but um, can't afford the tickets. Yeah, oh, sure, mate. I, I see what you're making there, Stacey. <laughs> you're fine. It's no, a 365-sponsored event, isn't it? Yeah, 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 we're sponsoring it. But, um, yeah, Limp Biscuit that uh, that takes you back to your childhood, doesn't it? Yeah, Break Stuff, Rolling. I can't remember half the songs. My Generation. Chocolate, yeah, Hot Dogs. That was, very, that was one of the great things, playing on with that song to the Key Factors boys. That was a good memory at Sky. But um, all right, boys, I'm going to get in, cut this up. But uh, thank you for joining me. Happy punting. We will talk uh, tomorrow, likely. Cheers, boys. See you, boys. Go well.